listeners and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Decks, an event podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond, discussing their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the decks. My special guest for this episode, listeners, is someone who is at the start of her music production journey, but has a myriad of experiences I know you'll enjoy hearing about. Her name is Eloise, or as she is otherwise known, Rojon. Rojon has only been producing for about two months, but has already crafted her own identity as a producer. Get yourself comfy, have a listen, as I go Behind the Decks with Rojon. Eloise, welcome to Behind the Decks, pal. Thanks so much for coming on. First off, how are you, and how are you sort of coping with the general situation we're in right now? Freddie, thank you so much for having me on. It's really a big pleasure. I'm doing all right in lockdown. Um, as you probably know, I'm making a lot of music. Um, it's difficult, and I'm you know working from home as well, like a lot of us are. But it's okay. It's we we get along. It's it's been quite a few months now. I think we're kind of used to it. We're kind of adjusted now in a sense. Um, but yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Excellent. We've got a lot to get out, um, get cracking on with. So shall we just get started? Let's start right at the beginning, Eloise, with your journey as Rojon, which ironically isn't actually that long ago. Now, firstly, just talk to me a bit about how your love affair with music began. You know, tell me a bit about your favourite records growing up, maybe your music idols and inspirations, and then how you first got into producing. Uh, from a young age, I basically, um, <laughs> I played the flute, so I had like flute lessons. I have like grade four in flute. Uh, I did that for a long time. And then, um, it's not that I disliked it, it's just I've, I've, I've sung so much classical music, but I still really enjoy it. And then I sort of picked up around maybe 12 guitar, I did a couple of guitar lessons. But then I felt like the lessons were a bit slow in a way, so I kind of was like, well, I'm just going to teach myself and then, you know, ultimateguitar.com and <laughs> stuff. Some of my music idols, I think at the time, like, I didn't really listen to a lot of music before I was like 10 or 11, I think, like a lot of people. Or I, my memory's quite blurred before then. I might have listened to music, I might not have. So a lot of the stuff focused on guitar because I was, I was playing guitar and I wanted to be able to like sort of be able to play songs that I like. So a lot of the stuff I really liked was a lot of alternative rock and indie music. So I really liked the Arctic Monkeys. So the like favourite worst nightmare, like really, really like a big track. Uh, the Kooks I really like as well. The Killers as well. And like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californication was really, really interesting for me as well. Like I really liked it. And then sort of... <laughs> Well, it kind of developed into all different types of music. I sort of got interested in sort of eighties music and things like that. Um, sort of electronic, more electronic sort of stuff. I also really like nineties sort of electronic music. It sort of kind of gradually merged into so many more different things as I was exploring different types of music. So in regards to the producing producing side, I mean, I've written songs on guitar before, like you know, and and things like that. But it's never, it's always been acoustic guitar, you know, electric guitar or sort of rock sort of indie rock or alternative rock whatever you call it that sort of theme of guitar uh, that sort of type of music so producing has really been really been quite recent I mean I used to mess around on garage bands when I did music GCSE <laughs> but um basically yeah that was a uh, you know the sort of introductions of understanding music production on you know, uh, was through basically being exposed to garage bands and then obviously now that was a long time ago GCSE well, <laughs> many years ago and then I sort of, during lockdown, I thought, loads of my friends make music, why can't I? 
just building on that, you said to me um, off air that the most important parts of your life in your early life was painting and playing instruments. Just just tell me about how those helped you as you know two really powerful self care tools and how they combined to help your mental health. Um, yeah, that was another side of like sort of my interest. I found a lot of inspiration from art. Just generally painting, I found that painting, you know, acrylic paint was really really my interest. I would do a lot of these things together. If I would, you know, I'd, I'd paint and listen to music. So it was like they were always kind of synonymous with each other they're always kind of there when I was doing my art a level exams I was like listening to <laughs> like strange ways by the smiths and things like that or like loads of different types of bands as well so it's kind of like yeah it, within the art world you know music has always been very very present for me like it's always been there as well so yeah they're, they're outlets both of them are outlets for me although you've only been producing for a few months how would you describe your sound or at least the types of records you've been making or have you have you not really settled on one yet I have no idea at this moment and I think it's in a way some people think maybe you know this is this is the thing okay you get bands that will change sometimes their music maybe think about bands like Muse for example Muse have changed quite significantly in their sort of like or Green Day you take it take for example Green Day when they went more quote poppy you take these sort of bands and they they, they evolve I think music is always sort of evolving in that sort of way and um, it's not to say that they go from maybe necessarily to two different points but they may do they might take inspiration from different things my sort of interests lie with I really like um, using interesting samples a lot of electronic uh, I like messing around with my MIDI keyboard a lot and that usually is sort of up an electronic sound but in certain in certain tracks that I've made one of the first tracks I made using Ableton because I was using GarageBand 4 and it was just not really working for me uh, one of the first tracks I made with Ableton was Hyperallergenic Banana which my mate named for me <laughs> I asked one of them for an adjective and I asked one of them for a noun and they didn't <laughs> those were the noun those were the words they gave me in this I use a sort of like organ feature um, with the keyboard and I kind of wanted to create this sort of variety and sort of textures and different types of sounds within the music so it has an electronic feel to it definitely in that track as well you have the drums are a bit more not, not necessarily drum and bass you know they're quite similar sort of rhythms but I, I'm still deciding I'm still like focusing I mean the thing is that there's so many things that I'm interested in really difficult to narrow it down if that makes sense let's talk about a few of your other records now there was one i came across called luke which is a real melodic which is a real melodic house record you told me the vocal sample you used for it is um is actually from your mate luke's laugh is that right yeah that's completely correct yeah uh did you want me to explain more about it or <laughs> yes please uh, basically, Connor, who was on here before, uh, who thankfully introduced me to your wonderful podcast, he we we joked a little bit because he was in he was into music. I'm into music. But he was he knew how to produce. We would hear Luke's laugh and just be like, "This needs to be a record. Like it's ridiculous. We're going to remix his laugh." You know, we joked about it like four years ago. And then when lockdown happened, we were just talking about you know. Are missing our mates and things like that and uh you know and i was saying like does anybody have that recording of luke's laugh you know wouldn't it be great if we made him like the, we made this like lockdown tune so i kind of took it upon myself to do that i said well let's see if there's a sample and luckily one of my friends sent it to me his, his laugh is like hoo, hoo, hoo. like it, i can't even do it properly but you can hear it in the in the in the tune if you listen to it it's about 10 seconds long and it's like i sliced that and just kind of worked with a sort of um jingle i made uh like like dun 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 and then I sort of added the yup 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 sort of making it into a, a sort of a drum if, or maybe even an, into a sort of you know sort of synth in a way yeah it was a lot of fun and he really liked it he went a bit like um he, he was just a bit surprised he was just like what 
is going on like what what we've made this and I was like yeah I, I made it in about a week or a week and a bit and he was like what no one told me about this and I said yeah well I told, we, I told like so many other people but I told them to keep it a secret until I'd finally mastered it and sorted it out and kind of helped with a lot of the mastering because I'd only been producing music for about a month then and I was still relatively new to mastering. I didn't really understand mastering whatsoever. Uh, I'm still learning mastering. It's really difficult. <laughs> but um, so it was a lot of fun. And I really liked using those sort of samples. Like, you know, just really obscure samples. Like, it's dedicated as a sort of... If my friends and I ever have a party, it's got to be there. It's got to be played. <laughs> For sure. You just mentioned there that um, we are talking thanks to previous uh, Behind the Decks guest, Mr. Wax, or Connor, um, who kindly connected, connected us. How has he helped you in your music journey? And what other DJs or producers do you look to for inspiration and, and how you'd like to shape your, your music production journey going forward? You know, you mentioned to me off air, you know, ambient music and, and artists like Aphex Twin and uh, Dorian Electra being sources of inspiration to you. Connor's helped a lot. Connor's helped massively during this journey. He's really inspired me uh, because he has so much more knowledge than I do because he's been doing it so much longer and uh, he makes great tracks and this is a bit of a shout out for you, Connor. But um, so it's been really, really useful because uh, I'd send him some clips and I'd say, I don't know how to get rid of this or what do you think I should do with this? You know, just asking for advice because I think that's some of the best ways that you can really elevate your music sort of producing level. It's just by asking and just by seeing what you can, what someone else can help you with through their expertise and knowledge. Yeah, Connor helps a lot with the loop. I mean, this is the thing is that we, the, the track Edo on my SoundCloud, Connor essentially found the sample and sort of, I and, and, and created it. I sort of, he kind of gave it to me as sort of like a, okay, see if you can edit this. So not an experiment or not on a test, but like, let's see what you can do. And it's sort of like etude and stuff like that, whatever. And he's been really helpful. And I think a big inspiration was when Connor played at Groove Horizons. It was this, uh, this sort of future funk vaporwave sort of event in London. Uh, when was it? About a year ago, I think now. Wow. Uh, maybe a little bit less. This event is really good. There were loads of really, really cool producers and DJs there. Uh, one of them was called Melanade. I remember him being really good. And there were there were lots of them. Um, uh, who else has inspired me? Producers. I mean, I've I've mentioned yeah, Apex Twin mainly because I love ambient music. I've mentioned in the past like I really like Sounds of Rain. Um, you know, very kind of just really quite detailed sounds if that makes sense. Different textures. I quite like kind of crispness as well. I think with how that ties in with Dorian Electra is that Dorian Electra uses a lot of sort of interesting samples in their music such as uh, for example uh, in a lot of them there's a, a sort of a, a crack like a whip crack and that's really like become a, a large part of their sort of music in like most of their tracks which is like it's kind of become a little bit synonymous and of course vocoding as well is a big part of their sort of like music development and pr production rather I, I think yeah I think that's a, there's, there's so many producers that inspire me that it'd be <laughs> that I, I I could go on for for ages about but yeah Connor's been a great help and what's really cool is that one of my other friends he said to me you know how did you get into sort of um, music production and I said well like I looked at my friend Connor and what he did you know he kind of gave me some tips and he said like I've always wanted to make music and I said well just go for it so it's kind of like this chain in a way because it's like Connor inspired me to make music and then like you know my friend asked me how did I make the music and then it's like sort of this lovely bubble of you know lockdown jams that are going to be created <laughs> so it's, it's pretty nice. We've talked about a few of your favourite producers, Eloise, and a few that you've talked about um, are actually from the LGBT dance music community, a community which created, drove and popularised dance music from its birth and, and one which you belong to as well. And first of all, 
How have these producers shaped your music and you as a person, especially in relation to your identity as a gay woman? Gosh, yeah, there are so many different types of artists that have really helped me. I'm going to say probably growing up in a way with, with music, there were a lot of uh, icons from the LGBTQ plus community that have really shaped my um, interest. In the start, I would say, when I was sort of maybe discovering more about myself, I would say like Ellie Jackson of Larry really did kind of, she just didn't really care about not upholding standards of femininity that society may have like, um, you know, oh, excuse me for that. So in a way that was kind of like me because I felt that sometimes I would want to dress more, you know, quote unquote, like more masculine or whatever. But uh, And she kind of was a similar sort of thing. She many times in her past you know how she was androgynous etc and like I related to that a lot and then the music was also really great so I was like this is really cool there are so many different types of producers that have been that have come around uh, as a result uh, I, I'll say such as Frank Ocean I really like Frank Ocean I think he does a fantastic thing for the, the, the queer community LGBTQ plus community uh, and especially it's a, it's a wonderful thing for people of colour that um, are maybe listening to his you know listen to his music and see like there is someone like me in that sort of way Todrick Call again Janelle Monet. there are so many Yeji Yeji is really cool although um, Years and Years a UK band of course uh, the, the front singer I can't remember his name Ollie Ollie from Years and Years uh, it's very open. Uh, so yeah, all these artists really inspire me. Yeah, there are so there. I mean, there are there are way more. But uh, as I said, the list could go on for ages. The, these people really inspire me, and it's it's great. It's it's representation, you know, and it's just inclusivity. It's representation. It's all of these fantastic things that you know, you know, are are, are great to be showcased in music. You know, rightly so. There's a rising number of female. Um, LGBT producers as well who are enjoying success in the dance music scene right now. You've got the likes of um, Grime DJ, Flavor D. You've got DJ Kittens. Sherelle all do- is all um, Sherelle's doing great things. Larue has also recently come out, and Sherelle probably had probably one of the best boiler room sets in history. Does this greater visibility of gay female DJs or LGBT female DJs, I should say, um, does that inspire you and and show you that you know you know you can succeed as well as well in this music industry? Absolutely, I think uh, visibility is a fantastic thing. You know, uh, visibility is is really important for you know to to see someone maybe like you, or you know, you make doing something fantastic. It inspires you, yeah, definitely. Yeah, as, as I yeah, Larue again because of her sort of feelings of like androgyny etc. I I really liked her and her music really inspired me as well. And actually, she responded to one of my Instagram comments because I said to her the other day like. You know what? <laughs> it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a um, random question. I just said like, what digital audio workstation do you use? <laughs> Great music. And then to my surprise, she she replied, which is really funny. So you know, uh, Shura Shura is a great one as well. Uh, Shura does a lot of cool music, um, more acoustic, I guess, sort of vibes, but uh, more poppy. But again, Shura's representation as well. Yeah, there are there are there are you know it's. It, it's great to have these people it's visibility as i said and um i just it does inspire me because it makes me think like hey these people can do it so can i you know it just makes you feel like you you have potential you have potential it gives you sort of a boost of confidence and yeah that you're not sort of isolated 
Obviously, the gay club scene is a big part of what makes London great and there's other strong and vibrant scenes in Brighton, Leeds and Manchester, amongst others in the UK, Eloise. How has club culture and specifically gay clubs influenced your musical journey and your life more widely? You know, you said the gay club scene in, in Nagoya, Japan, where you spent a year of your university abroad meant a lot to you and one particular club called Metro. Yeah, Metro uh, was a fantastic club. Yeah, so Metro was in a place called Shinsakai in, in Nagoya, which is where I used to live great place really fantastic some of the people i know that i you know that I, I know from metro do nightly events there which is really cool it's a it's a really warm environment uh you know the people are really kind and it, it did kind of uh because i was sort of the sort of early stages of discovering who i was in that sort of way or become like coming to grips with like you know who i was and my sexuality and whatnot i think metro was like a big sort of like oh this is something that i've this is like a, a community that I've not that I'm a part of, but like I haven't really delved into the sort of like the club scene and whatnot. And Metro was like, I feel like Metro was probably my first gay club that I ever went to, and that was in like 2015. And like it was in Japan, like you know, so um, it was great. They had drag shows as well, like that was really cool as well. That then the music was always really good there as well. They have really great DJs there. You know, uh, it was really, really good. Uh, and yeah, I really enjoyed my time in Nagoya, especially. I mean, I was in, in Japan, I was still sort of like, um, navigating my way through understanding who I was. So it was a, it was, it was an interesting time. It was really cool. And, uh, there, there are, there's, um, the district in Tokyo, Nichome, uh, which is like the sort of like where all of the LGBTQ plus hubs are. Um, there's so, so many there and it's, I think there's like 300 or something and it's really like really small like they might be not 300 I don't know <laughs> but uh, there's a lot there's a lot there there, there, there is a there is a and of course pride happens in 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 I've, I've been to Tokyo Rainbow Pride in 2016 I think um and that was really lovely uh there were so many like lovely organizations and uh more sticking more to music yeah I think Metro Club it sort of did get me into sort of the LGBT clubbing scene um and it's been great since then i mean it's you know kind of like self-discovery in a way <laughs> let's talk about your identity as a gay woman in a bit more detail eloise what age were you when you first came out what age were you when you first had feelings for girls and who did you tell when you came out and what impact did that have on you sure so let's have a look so uh i came out in 2016 i think my god it's been four years already that's crazy yeah four years or so and yeah so came out um the impact it had on me so the thing is that um with coming out it's almost like a, a sort of a secret you have and you just don't know how anyone's going to react to it and it's also like a secret you carry with you maybe a lot or something that you announce all the time so i think i think people say you know when did you come out and it's it's, it's a it's a difficult question to answer for anyone because it can be different for different people so you know it can be for example like you know you come up to your friends but not your family you come up to your family but not your friends you know or, or you might come up to them at different points, which is what I did. The impact it had on me, um, big relief. <laughs> uh, I think my parents were really accepting. They were chill. Um, they didn't really mind. They were 
you know, they were fine. And the people around me, uh, they were fine too. You know, my friends and my family, uh, they were fine. It was, um, it went okay. Yeah, it went okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, as I said before, it's, uh, you know, you, 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 you come up to your friends and you come up to your family, but then you make new people you meet. They don't know necessarily or, you know, so, uh, unless you tell them. You said to me off air that when you were in school, you were, you felt pressure to kind of hyper feminize in order to fit in and, and sort of, uh, you know, you try to react to other people's expectations of you and the pressure they put you under. Now, I'm sure there was overt homophobia you experienced, but there also seemed to be this sort of subconscious homophobia you experienced as well. Just talk to me a bit about, about that in a bit more detail, if you could. So the thing is, with my sort of, let's say, like my sort of expression, what I wore and things like that, you know, how I presented, it was, uh, yeah, more on the sort of masculine side. Uh, I had I had short hair. I never wore skirts. The thing is, my school was really fine about that because my school uniform was either wear a skirt or you wear trousers. Uh, I went to an all-girls school. I won't say which one, but <laughs> I went to an all-girls school. Uh, and it wasn't uh, a lot of times, you know, teenage girls, they want to look pretty and things like that. Maybe, you know, I think uh, for the most part of my school, it was kind of like, and I didn't feel that sort of same desire for being girly. I didn't, I felt quite happy presenting as more masculine than my friends. I did feel a little bit of pressure in a sense because some people might say, you know, well, why did you wear, why are you wearing, you know, trousers instead of a, a a dress like uh prom for example i didn't i didn't go to prom in a dress i went to prom in jeans smart jeans <laughs> i'm not, not <laughs> like smart jeans and like a blouse and i think some people were kind of confused because a lot of people were wearing dresses so this sort of the the transition to sixth form because i didn't move school to sixth form i stayed at the same school uh the transition i kind of i i at the end of sort of year maybe 11 or whatever i'll start to be a 12 i started more wearing more dresses and things like that. I don't know whether that was a pressure or whether I wanted to. I, th- I think I know that one thing that people did was they made a big deal. They're like, oh my God, she's the first time she's worn, worn a dress in like three years. I think that that made me feel a bit conscious in a way. And I know it's not out of their intentions weren't bad. They were just excited for me. So I don't hold anything, of course, against these people. But it's just that in a way it was kind of like, I, I don't like a lot of attention on me. I mean, I'm an extrovert for sure, but I don't like a huge amount of like, look at me, look at me, because so it's kind of a bit daunting. So in a way, uh, I was quite, I, I, I wore a lot of feminine clothing, feminine quotation marks in the clothing in like sort of later, sort of like year 12 and year 13. And then when I went to uni, it kind of, you know, wasn't, and my hair was longer and I, I bleached it many different types of colours. <laughs> At uni and stuff kind of chilled a bit. And then when I found out, came out and things like that, you know, I felt more comfortable in sort of my identity. And I think that maybe also um, plays into a part of like me going like, well, let me just go back to like what I used to, you know, be like my before. Like I felt maybe a little bit of maybe what well, pressure, maybe in a sense, uphold these sort of like uh, this this sort of standard of uh, being for more feminine presenting. It's essentially, yeah. I mean, now now it's like I do sometimes wear dresses. I don't, but you know, at the end of the day, it's like an item of clothing for me, and um, it, it I do I do still just my my presentation is more maybe on the masculine side than on the feminine side, and uh, I'm I'm happy in it. So that's that's <laughs> I mean that's it. You know, I mean <laughs> yeah. And in regards to homophobia, uh, it was uh, as 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 far as I can remember as a as a closeted kid, I was 
kind of getting to grips with who I was. I didn't know whether my 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 expression, you know, my gender expression, or you know how I how I presented to people, like with my clothes, my clothes and stuff, how I looked, whatever. I didn't know whether that played in 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 role with my sexuality. I was I was just a bit confused. I was like, I don't know, uh, you know. And I did feel like there was a lot of maybe debate around it at, at school, you know. I mean, there were people saying I don't agree with it because I I don't, and then the people be saying, oh, but no, it's okay. And it was it was a complicated time because I think uh, I did like I did like you know in, in classes you sort of yeah I think I, I remember in um I think my philosophy class I remember some people discussing it I mean I remember some people saying I don't agree with it because I don't agree with it and I'd say like you know this is me being uh, closeted as you can imagine I was kind of like I think it's okay to be gay you know <laughs> it's like I'm closeted so <laughs> you, you, you worry a lot and I think that also ties in with anxiety as well you know I, I, I'm a big worrier sometimes so I was kind of a bit anxious. I've had a few gay men and women on the pod since I started this Eloise and one thing they've all said to me is that although they are hugely proud of their identities as gay men or women it doesn't form the entirety of their identity is that something that you share and, and why is that an important distinction to make? Um, I would say definitely correct. Um, I feel the same way, and uh, it's rather is what I mean. I it, it's a, it's a part of my identity for sure. Um, you know, it's a part of me. That's nothing. I it's not something I can change. <laughs> so of course, it's I'm 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 happy, and I am in a sense, yeah, proud of it. Yeah, I would say it doesn't form the entirety of my identity. There's a lot more about me that I think you know is important to uh, understand because I think to for example that like, I wouldn't say that's my straight friend you know and that's my straight friend I know they have different things about them <laughs> we're all very different people we're varied you know there's something amazing about each and every one of us and I think that that needs to be celebrated and of course like um thing the distinction I make with with uh, that is because uh being gay being LGBTQ plus has been and, and still is in a way a struggle and it's a it's, it is a it is a struggle around the world you know even in the UK like uh with, it, it, in a sense it, it's a it doesn't form a whole part it doesn't form like the entirety of me it's not everything about me but it's a part of me that it is important because it's something I struggled with uh a lot and I think it's it's good to finally say like hey I'm, I'm okay with this and yeah this is me, you know, this is, this is me. The way, there may well be list people listening to this pod, Eloise, who are struggling with their sexuality. Now, we must say that not everyone will feel ready to come out. Perhaps they will never feel ready, and that's fine. But from your experience, what message or advice would you give them? The best advice is uh, we're, we're here, and um, I'm here to say um, I see you, uh, and I support you, and um, we may have different experiences, you will know when it's right to come out. And if that's not right now, or you don't know when it will be, or you may not plan on doing so in, in the near future, it's okay. You have to live your own truth. You know who you are. And even if, you know, society is difficult to you, there is a fantastic family that are there to welcome you with open arms. And that's what happened to me. And just finally, Eloise, um, we actually haven't—I haven't actually asked you how your name came about. So why don't you tell the listeners about how your producer name came about as well? Oh, this is quite funny. Essentially, what happened was when I went to university, I I I, I studied Japanese uh, at university with Chinese as well. And uh, basically, my my surname is R O U G E O N Rujon in 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 English. Uh, well, it's, it's a French surname, but so basically. Uh, you pronounce it Rujon. Now, in Japanese, Rujon will be 
R-U-J-O-N. Now, the thing is that one of my professors, he saw my name and was like, oh, it's probably pronounced with an O, so it's Rojon. I often would say to him, like, no, it's it's Rujon, not Rojon. And then he he sometimes forgets. So it kind of became sort of my nickname around my mates around me. And then essentially what happened was when I was getting more interested in sort of sharing music that my mates had made, I made a SoundCloud. Uh, I just I had I said I don't know what to call myself so I just put in Roger on and it's, it's not changed since so it's like I, I really um it's not the correct way to pronounce my name in in in, in Japanese but I it's like I liked it <laughs> more than how, how it should have been pronounced if that makes sense. We talked about Rojon let's go behind the deck and talk about your journey in a little bit more detail Louise so firstly talk your early life, your childhood, your teenagers in a bit more detail and whether looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? You know, who's Yellowese we meet here? So a little bit more my early life. I don't have any siblings, brought up in London uh, in a bilingual household. My dad's French, my mum's British. Uh, she was brought up in London. My dad was brought up in France. Uh, he moved here like about 30 odd years ago. Not much to say there. Just pretty, pretty uh, regular childhood. <laughs> nothing, nothing really sticked out, stuck out, uh, sticked out rather. Teenagers, uh, I, um, yeah, as I said, I got more into music and art and things like that. I mean, art has been in my life a lot longer than music has. I mean, I've always listened to music, like, but I was drawing for years. I've been drawing since I was like really, really a kid really really young and it's always been like that men uh and so with teenagers uh uh there was a lot of a level i felt a lot of pressure uh just because i wanted to go to university so i was really stressed about (laughs) going to uni uh so i think i had a lot of anxiety but i didn't really pinpoint it as anxiety yet sort of just nerves at the time i was just like i'm just nervous didn't think i was anxious in a way university however in the the first year of uni i i I, you know I, i i think that was first uh, near the end of the first year of university because I was planning on going abroad I was going to live abroad in Japan so essentially I was a bit anxious about that and I, <laughs> I remember going to like a wedding it was my cousin's wedding and like loads of people coming up to me saying oh my god it's really excited you're going to you're going to move to Japan and everyone kept asking me that you know with, with kind intentions but <laughs> just like I was really anxious about it because I'd never been to Japan. I've never lived over there. Nothing. I've never. I was just so anxious. So um, I was essentially just. I, I panicked, and I remember just being really panicky and just like ha- having this big urge to sort of run away in a way, like you know. And uh, I kind of found myself like in a sort of. It was like a hall or something, and then it was like a, another room. I remember just being in there and just like breathing like really frantically and thinking like trying to calm myself down. And that's my earliest memory of like anything close to a panic attack. You were diagnosed with panic disorder by your GP in 2016, which you said started during your year abroad in Japan, which you've mentioned previously. Just tell me a bit about that year as a whole and, and what you enjoyed before you then experienced these additional mental health difficulties. And, and how did these panic attacks affect you? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it was around December 2016 to January 2017. It's like officially diagnosed with like panic. Um, it was stressful, uh, <laughs> you know, to have panic. Uh, it, it was very, very difficult because I think uh, if, if, for people that don't know what a panic attack feels like, it's essentially you have this really big thinking feeling and then you just start breathing really intensely and you feel really quite scared. 
um, and you just have, in for my, for my, this is all my perspective, by the way. That I mean, but there are correlations between a lot of what other people feel. There are the I felt a very intense feeling of just wanting to run away um, and just kind of get out of somewhere, but there was nowhere to go. You know what I mean? Nowhere would solve that. So it's kind of like you feel a bit trapped. The panic for me would would last anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. And usually it was like around half an hour, but it really depended. It was difficult, really, because it exhausts, you know, when I was talking to my GP, she said to me, I want you to do this. I want you to, like, breathe frantically, you know, like, you know, for 15 seconds. And I did it. And she said, how do you feel? And I said, I feel I've got a bit of a headache. I'm a bit tired. And she said, now you understand why you're so tired after these panic attacks, because it's your body going into panic mode and you're tired afterwards because your body's just, like, intensely panicked. It, 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 to put it bluntly so it was it was difficult it was um it was it was it was tricky but it, this this tied in with a lot of stress and exams especially i i i found exams quite tricky in a way i i just would it just it's, it's when there's a lot of pressure like uh even you know I, I deal with anxiety most if not every day you know um but i don't deal with panic anymore and that's because when i sought out help like we talked about you know, she she said to me, first of all, do you ever feel like you're going to, like, you know, die from panic, to, to put it quite uh, graphically? And she said to me, uh, bluntly rather, and she said to me, like, I said to her, yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm just going to, like, fall on the floor. And, and she said to me, no, you won't. And I will assure you, you won't. You won't die from a panic attack. And from that, I was like, oh, okay. So every time I sort of felt like, oh my gosh, this is awful, this is awful, it's kind of like, but you're not, nothing's going to happen to you, it's going to be okay. And it's that sort of, nothing's going to happen to you, it's going to be okay mentality I've kind of maintained. And slowly but surely, like, with the right sort of tools I was given, um, it was, it became less prevalent in my life. Um, I don't remember the last time I had one, so that's a good sign. Um, but it was difficult. And I hadn't really, I mean, and as I, as I mentioned before, I hadn't really experienced uh, additional mental health difficulties. I mean, because anxiety is basically tied into that, because panic ties in with anxiety, because you're, you know, you, but um, anxiety is varied and whatnot. But yeah, so anxiety and panic were the two that really did affect me. Was it a Buddhist flatmate who visited a lot of monasteries that helped you during this time, Eloise? What were the types of meditations that she taught you? This was a really, this is a, this is, this has been a, a very fond memory for me. Like a really great memory for me. I, so I used to live in a, um, I used to live in a, a student accommodation. I had a, there was someone in the dorm and like she had like a shaved head and stuff. And she said to me like, oh, I'm a nun. And I said, oh, I really like, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in sort of like, you know, meditation and breathing. And she said to me like, well, if you're interested in meditation, join me on Tuesdays because I do a, um, a weekly Zazen. Zazen for, for people listening, if you're not sure, uh, Zazen is basically silent uh, meditation and you focus on, you focus on your breathing a lot. I mean, that's, that's the basics of the outline. It's a uh, silent meditation focuses a lot on breathing. I think having that every Tuesday was really, really beneficial for me. You know, I'd go there and it was like, I think 7 p.m. And we'd go to this sort of like, it was like a house for like all of these, uh, the, the, the university I studied at. It was like a, a lot for like religious studies specialist school. Like, so it's like, that was a specialism. So you had, you know, you had priests, you had monks, you had uh, nuns, all different types of people that were, um, like religious figures, uh, or, um, 
that were in this sort of house and in there they had like a they had a room and it was with tatami mats on the floor and you had the um the uh the cushions on the floor um and you know they were facing a wall and we'd all face the wall so it'd be like a square room or whatever we'd all face the wall like with our back to the center of the room and we would do that for half an hour just seated seated in whatever you know if you, if you could <laughs> sit in lotus position which is like your legs crossed and you did that but if you couldn't cross-legged is okay it was just intense focusing on your breathing and these breathing exercises are really recommended by for people that have panic and people that have anxiety uh you know and uh or people even people that have like insomnia for example as well they you know breathing exercises are highly recommended by like so many mental health experts and i think that really did open my mind to just just being just a world of a world of calm uh you know and it was like half an hour of just let's not focus on anything we want to focus on just our breathing anything but any everything else is not important just the breathing and it was it was really beautiful so i'm very thankful i'm very thankful to to geshin for for showing me that Something that really helps you, Eloise, is the weather and this idea of pathetic fallacy, whereby the weather, in particular things like rainfall, can really dictate or improve your mood and well-being and can always provide a grounding technique for you when you're feeling anxious. Just tell me a bit more about that and how it's impacted your music as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I've always kind of been interested in sort of like calming, like ever since I was, you know, have, have had problems with anxiety and panic and stuff. I've been trying to find ways to kind of be calm and um yeah as 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 you mentioned rainfall is just I mean the other day it rained like loads because it hasn't rained for ages and I and I recorded it <laughs> on my phone just to keep it for later and I posted it online and I just wrote like if anyone's feeling anxious have a listen to this and loads of people messaged me saying thank you I really liked this it was so nice to have a sort of moment of calm and uh you know I think it's sounds like that can be just so calming even even when it's quite strong as i as i mentioned before like uh, off air asmr not the sort of asmr maybe like that you know there's different types but the whispering or the sort of like my my personal favorite is when you when you have like um kinetic sand and you sort of it's molded or it's like sliced and it sort of creates this crisp sort of sound it's so relaxing i mean it's not relaxing for everyone some people don't like it but for me personally i found like it's just focusing on that sound it's a similar sort of technique that i adopted when i was doing zazen or seated meditation i just have nothing i just like i'd focus on what's in front of me and that's what i did i just focused on what was like surrounding me just like this sound and it sort of brought me some great calm you know or you know focused on my breathing and the sound of my breathing all these sorts of things are really really grounding for me of course, that has impacted my music as well because I like sounds that are super crisp and clear and defined. Things like bass, I, I, I love. Like, I love lots of, like, I like the bass when you can actually feel it in you because that's when I feel like it's super, it sort of relates to ASMR because ASMR, uh, a lot of the times, uh, it creates this sort of sensation that you're like, oh, it, it feels like you can feel it. And I like so that's the sort of same thing in bass. Cause, you know, you, you, sometimes it's so like low you can actually hear it. I like a lot of crisp sort of sounds, as I mentioned in the, uh, earlier as well, um, which is why I like rainfall, the the sand cutting and things like that. I think all these things are like really popular in in um, popular now, which I find really interesting. I didn't, I didn't you know, I've, in a sense that ASMR has been around for ages, but 
it's getting more and more popularity now and I think there's just so there's so many there's so many people that make music uh, sorry make uh, ASMR videos now online um, and I think it's great it, people enjoy it and stuff but yeah those in those sorts of ways it, it, creating a sense of space and focus concentration on one sort of sound throughout maybe a track maybe like a break I think those that's how it's going to inspire my music looking back Eloise how do you think all these experiences you've gone through, you know, the anxiety, the panic disorder and, and, and coming out as a gay woman, how, how have these all shaped you into the person I'm speaking to today? Everyone's experiences um, shape everyone in a different way. And, you know, the, the thing is, I, I still, you know, I still struggle sometimes with anxiety. It's something I've accepted, but there's way I've kind of found the ways and the tools to kind of be okay with that. I've also learned many different types of things, such as, not necessarily tools just for panic and stuff, but surrounding yourself with people that are positive, I think is a really, really underrated thing. Because I think a lot of people say like, this this friend says this stuff, this sort of stuff to me sometimes, I don't like it. I said, have you told them? No. Well, you should maybe, you know, let, let them let them know and then maybe they can sort it out. And if they, they get angry or they don't sort it out, you just, you have to do what you have to do to sort of say, you know, I have to protect my own, well-being so I think surrounding yourself with like-minded people has been something that I've learned to do and you know my, my my friends around me I'm very you know family and friends have been great you know they've been really supportive and stuff even when it was difficult for me when it was when the time, times were tough there were there were a lot of my friends were there to support me it's really great and I think they've shaped me because I've become someone I, I've become someone that people can talk to me and open up to me if they're having problems and know that they don't have any sort of fear or anything like that I, I've, I've become more sort of happy through these experiences a lot stronger definitely um more like sort of resilient in a way and uh yeah I think you know it's great it's it's a lot of all these experiences have affected me for the for the better <laughs> I think one of my one of my friends said to me like had some one of my friends asked me for advice the other day you know just talking to you about some stuff that happened how do you you know how a lot of times she said you know you're wise and I said like I don't know if I'd say I agree with I'm wise but I've just been through a lot of stuff so I kind of know <laughs> you know uh, maybe what to but you know I sort of know certain things what, what have been best for me A final topic of conversation Eloise and it's one I try and have with all my special guests which is a general natter about mental health so firstly how would you say your mental health is at the moment, pal? Mental health at the moment, of course, it's been impacted by lockdown. So I've been a bit more anxiety. Uh, I think a lot of people are feeling that anxious uh, at the moment with in, in general. But so far, it's not been too, too bad, actually. Um, it's been okay, thankfully, which is really good. And what things do you find in life that trigger your mental health, pal? I.e. it could be things that people might say, sound, sensations. You know, what could you tell me about a bit about yours? Well, the things that might trigger mental health uh, for me, some people that might say, I think I think it's general, generally less what people say and more like a lack of empathy. Uh, like, you know, pull yourself together. Oh, things like that are not helpful. Or calm down. Oh, my God. People say calm down. How, how can you tell someone if they're anxious to calm down? It, it, to me, it's like a... It's what should be said was like keep on breathing, try and keep breathing, those sort of things, and encouraging things like that. I think it's it, it, things like that can, that can be quite triggering for for me, especially when people say to me like stop crying or calm down or 
things like that I think are really unhelpful. And what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? Which ones have you found that have worked and maybe which ones haven't? Loads. Let's start off with the basics. Breathing. Breathing is, is, is like deep breathing. Uh, ex-breathing exercises are really, really important to uh, help me sleep. Uh, help me in an anxious situation, you know, whenever I'm feeling anxious, whatever, uh, whether it's a high stress situation or whatnot, general anxiety, so that, that comes out of nowhere. Lavender oil has really helped me. Uh, I use lavender oil every night, um, but I also use different essential oils, so rosemary or lemongrass, sort of to help me concentrate and wake up. So um, essential oils are aromatherapy and music. <laughs> music is really good. People listen to music when they're sad. People listen to music when they're happy. People listen to music. So when when they experience whatever emotion, a lot of times, you know, uh, so people listen to music and it can make them feel happy. It can just help them to sort of cope with their sort of feelings or maybe it might be a bit of an outlet, you know. For me, uh, if I'm sad, I listen to sad music. If I'm happy, I listen to happy music. I don't, Usually it's just that's the way it goes. Um, so it's a bit of an outlet. It's not like I would say I'm sad, so I'm going to listen to something really happy. Like I don't know. <laughs> so you know, yeah, that's uh, that. Those are my outlets. And just finally, what more do we have to do to ensure people, not just in the LGBT community, but people from all backgrounds and genders, feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health? A big part of it is listening. Just just listening, not making assumptions, being showing compassion and empathy because at the end of the day someone could explain to me how they're feeling and I might not understand it because I don't go through the same thing the thing is that if we listen we learn and we learn to understand and we we sort of say I may not you know understand completely how you go through but I can try my best to do you know to help you out and to see what we can do you know to to help you feel like you can you can feel okay and you can feel great in yourself I think listening is really I mean this is this is why things like talking therapy and and counseling are so so popular because people need to be listened to you know sometimes it's just listening to people and creating an environment where they feel comfortable and not judged I don't feel like they they, they can they, they, people aren't judgmental and stuff that's really important creating that sort of environment where people can be okay to talk about their feelings <laughs> Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Decks. I want to say a big thank you to Eloise, aka Rojon, for being my special guest on this episode and letting me go Behind the Decks with her. One of Rojon tracks, Edo, which Mr. Wax collaborated with her on, will play us out. And I'll put some links to where you can follow Rojon on social media and stream her music in the description of the pod. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it or for feeling very generous, write us a review on iTunes. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Decks and remember, it's always okay to vent. <laughs>